What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. There's a lot of stuff happening. So here's what we did. We shot Xavier Scruggs a message and we said, dude, you're kind of dropping bars on Twitter right now and so well connected, MLB Network and ESPN. And uh, he said, yes, I'm ready to hop on the pod whenever. We're in scramble mode right now. We love being in scramble mode and we're really excited to talk to Xavier Scruggs. Jack, Aram, Just Baseball Show. Uh, We're going to release it on the evening of the 7th. So this is kind of the Thursday episode, but this is also the evening of the 7th episode because things are just constantly changing. Um, We're talking to you before we talk to Xavier. What do you want to ask him about? Uh, Man, I'm just excited to get his perspective on a lot of things. You know, this is one of those times where you know, we, we think we know what's going on on the outside. We, we try to keep it in touch as much as we can. But, you know, when you have somebody that's that's really been in the trenches and that gets it and is seeing these players make these big decisions, seeing how some of these things are unfolding. Um, and now Xavier's on the, on the media side, too. So it's cool because he can, you know, give us the best of both worlds here. So I'm just more excited to talk shop and, and just pick his brain, because like you mentioned, he's been, you know, really dropping bars on Twitter. He's been saying a lot of really, really interesting things and i see i see him really getting more comfortable with like asserting his opinions because yeah. you know he's he made that transition in the media from being a player for so long and i, I like this a more opinionated scruggs because he's such a nice guy he's so happy go lucky but i love seeing him assert some of these opinions and be critical of some teams and i'm excited to get into that with him dude i'm really excited to get into that with him and also you know we we both chatted with him at one point he's just a good dude so we're excited to have this good dude on this podcast for the first time here we've got a lot to talk about man um what what turned to be arson judge ended up being aaron judge to san francisco which ended up being at like 3 a.m or what 6 a.m eastern 6 a.m i think yeah so 3 a.m pacific judge signing with the yankees nine for 360 uh we also got to get to this reported five-year deal for wilson Contreras, which is pretty interesting here um and a couple other things. I mean, the Bogarts thing is heating up right now, too. You've got the Rule 5 draft tonight. We're not going to talk about that. You can go to the call-up for that information. Yeah. But, you know, everything's happening really quickly at the winter meetings. And I think that's what baseball fans were craving, no? That's exactly what everybody was hoping for. We kept saying, like, oh, they need more like no more incentive to make moves immediately. And there, there isn't necessarily more incentive. But for whatever reason, we saw these winter meetings be a lot more... I would just say expedited with the whole process. And and what's also interesting is 
the market. It, it, these are a lot of big time contracts, I think higher than what we would have projected or anticipated in the AAV department for a lot of these deals and more years for a lot of these players than we thought. That generally gets the ball rolling a bit more and a bit quicker. So uh, this is good news for baseball, especially with all the CBA issues we've had over the last couple of years to see these contracts continuing to head in that direction. And it seems like the middle class player or even the upper middle class player is starting to get a little bit more money. So that's a good sign because I know that was a big concern in the CBA. Yeah, I'm never going to complain about it being a player's market, but this more than really any other year. And, you know, you could say it about Corey Seager and Marcus Semien and and some of the deals. Like, I mean, Those deals about- are always there. They're always there, but this really feels like a player's market. I mean, you think about what Heaney getting his two-year deal and he's making north of 10 annually and Jose Quintana making 13 annually on a two-year deal. It's a player's market, right? Kenley now. Jansen making 16 a year and getting two years. He got that last year, but the second year was is pretty crazy as he's a year older now. Uh, you look at like what Chris Martin's getting. We talked about what the other relievers like Montero and Suarez were getting on these three, four-year deals. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable, and I, I like it. I'm always going to be pro that. Also, seeing Mitch Haniger get his bag was yes. was nice as well, uh, and get a multi year contract. Also, really, if you want to get a pretty good player, it, it's not going to happen on a one year deal, except for the very unique Cody Bellinger type of circumstances where he prefers it. Maybe same yeah. thing with Conforto, but multi year deals are the way to go. Uh, it's the only way these players are, are really pushing for him, and it seems like teams are more willing than I thought they would be to give them out to certain types of players like an Andrew Heaney. And dude, think about Bellinger, right? Apparently he had multi-year offers on the table and he said no. So even though it was out there in the ether that Bellinger would prefer a one-year deal, teams still thought that they could get the best of the market and get ahead of the market by offering him a three-year deal. So he stood his ground and said, no, I want one. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to get a bag after this. Uh, listen, for a guy that has been one of the worst hitters in baseball, if not the worst hitter in baseball over the last two seasons, to get $17.5 million tells you all you got to know about this being a player's market. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and I hope he bounces back. I think it's a perfect spot for him in Chicago. And uh, he helps the Cubs. That, I, that's for sure. Even with, with what he does with the glove, if he can do anything with the bat, he helps the clubs. They need, the Cubs. They needed an answer there. And I'm excited to see what they continue to do. I know you guys talked about them on the last episode, but I'm very excited to see what that looks like. And we're excited to talk to Xavier Scruggs. Here it is right now. All right, we got Xavier Scruggs here, of course, with ESPN and MLB Network, the former what? Cardinal Marlin. Who am I missing? Uh, Just the NC Dinos of Korea, baby. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot about the NC Dinos. Uh, Hey, listen, thank you so much for joining us. I know this is like kind of that crazy week of baseball. And uh, I've just seen you go like you are dropping bars on Twitter. And I was like, I got to shoot you a message and get you on this (laughs) podcast right now. Because, you know, you are really... um, leaning into what a lot of baseball fans want to hear, right? You're you're looking big picture right now. And, you know, we, I know Aram and I both really identify with, with what you're putting out there about DeGrom, about the Red Sox and and about a lot of these contract things going on. So I guess the first thing for you is as a former player, how awesome is this player's market? I mean, guys are getting bags left and right. I mean, that that's one thing that's really cool for me to see is like just the idea that, you know, guys get to a certain point in which you get to free agency 
and you've worked so hard throughout the course of your life. The guys have played years in minor leagues and you've afforded yourself uh, an opportunity to be able to search, okay, where can I go? Where's the best fit for me and my family? And then ultimately a lot of the times is who's going to give me the biggest financial gain, right? Who's going to allow me to really support my family for years to come. So I think it's cool because I've seen it from a perspective as I've played and I understand how really hard it is to stay focused and do this thing 162 straight games and then do it multiple years into where you can get to a point like that. So I appreciate it and, and glad to see these guys get those opportunities. How fun has it been for the, this winter meetings for you on the media side now, just being able to, to cover this and I would say we were joking about it because, of course, the trade deadline's always going to be crazy because that's the trade deadline. You're, you're working against the clock there. We had that rare lockout deadline, which gave us a little bit of a frenzy as well. But generally speaking, the winter meetings tend to be a bit of a slow burn, and we never know what to expect. And it seems like this year has been a little bit different. Uh, what's it been for you uh, like, like covering this so far with just names flying off the board left and right. <laughs> it has been nuts, man. Like I, I can't even really keep track a lot of the time. You you guys broke some news when I was like when I first jumped on here and I was like, what's going on? Like I'm trying to look at the computer, I'm trying to look at the TV, but it's like it's so much is going on right now. And I think like our game missed that. Like yes. and, and and oftentimes, like you said, we don't have the off seasons like this with some of these bigger names. Um, I mean, we Aaron Judge has had a historic year and goes into free agency. Like, we don't get that. So to see the attention that baseball is getting right now, um, it reminds me of kind of what we see NBA offseason. Obviously, it's a, a, a shorter period when we talk about winter meetings. But I think the excitement for the game is like back, especially after not having a couple of years of winter meetings. So it's been fun. It's been tough to keep track. Um, but I think that's the cool part is like we got to we got to go find our news and we got to find reliable sources, by the way, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, the biggest deal of the winter meeting so far is two years for what, 15 for Aledmus Diaz going to Oakland a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> so um, I want to take you to something you put out this morning. Right. And this news broke when pretty much everybody was sleeping. You said on Twitter, quote, I could care less about the Yankees retaining Aaron Judge for 360 over nine years. There's a life lesson in all this. If you feel that your value or worth is more than what someone else believes, you don't have to talk about it. Just go out there and prove it. This was, and I think a lot of people started to acknowledge this when he got to like the 40 or 45 home run marker. This is the best contract year that anybody has ever put together in professional sports. He broke a record that stood for what, 61 years and he hit 62 bombs. So here we go. This guy has, what was it? An $130 million swing from the deal that he was, the, <laughs> the extension that he was thrown by the Yankees. Like, what does judge betting on himself mean for so many guys that are set to go through contract years in the next couple of seasons? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it means uh, nothing, nothing new that we haven't already understood, but I think what it does tell you is that the, the pressure, no matter how big it is, no matter how big the expectations may be, you, you as a player, you as a, a an everyday person can outweigh those expectations. Like you can go beyond those expectations. And I think a lot of times just as people, like we set specific boundaries around ourselves, like, okay, or specific goals. And we forget that we can surpass those things. And that's what I think is so great about judges season is 
Like none of us have ever been in his shoes. Never, none of us could ever understand the pressure that this man was going through. But what we can understand is betting on ourselves. We can understand saying, okay, I'm going to turn down something that seems nice, but because I believe that I can do something bigger and better, and I can believe that I'm worth more than that opportunity or that value or what somebody else has stamped on me. So I think that's what I appreciate most about Aaron Judge's season. And then what you mentioned about other players and, uh, and other people seeing that is like, okay, that that's a, obtainable. Like that's not something that's not, not can never happen. Like when we see those things happen, that should just give us encouragement for our own walk in life, whether that be playing a sport, whether that be business, whether that be anything is like, yo, I can, I can surpass those expectations and what somebody else believes in me. And I think that's, that's what cool, that what's cool. And I think we can all learn from that situation. Real quick, Aaron, before you jump in here, I mean, we kind of saw the same thing last year with Chris Bryant, but at an abbreviated level, right? Where Bryant yeah. was set to make what? He was set to get about an $100 million deal, which I'm still taking like every day of the week, obviously. But here he is putting together this great start to 21, and he gets a deal that clears 200 against Colorado. So there have been examples just not to the level of Aaron Judge, I don't think. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think that you you mentioned it, right? The historic season that we hadn't seen, um, you know, especially on, on a free agent uh, year, especially after, you know, think about like somebody walking up to you before the season starts that here's $213.5 million. Like, and just being ha having to say, no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to just see how this season goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how the next six months go. Like, no, we don't get to see that all the time. And then the fact that this man re-signed back with the Yankees, an opportunity to leave a legacy, I think that, you know, only time will tell. But I think that we're in a special time to where we even get to witness that. Yeah, 100%. And the last kind of follow-up question on the, on the contractual situation, and I just really like to get a player's perspective on this is we always talk about, we always give the props to Alex Anthopoulos, who I think is, is, is one of the goats when it comes to being an exec in major league baseball. And the, the way that he is able to, you know, get these guys extended and leverage those arbitration years and be able to get to really keep the core together. But on the flip side, it, it's unfortunate because you're getting a lot of players that are, you know, signing for a quote unquote discount, but they are getting that sure thing, right. That financial security. And there's a lot of value to that. Uh, obviously, circumstances are different for each kind of player. They start to hit their stride later. They don't have that pre-arb opportunity, but what do you think about the way things are structured? I know this was a big CBA topic and I don't want to get too deep into that, but mm -hmm. you know, being able to bet on yourself and go into free agency and things like that, but also teams having so much leverage in these conversations. And if you're a great player who's off to a really hot start to your career, it's hard not to take that financial security when it's not just one year that you can bet on yourself. Instead, it's five years that you got to wait and try to bet on yourself. Absolutely. And, and let's not forget, like opportunities don't, don't just stay with the player forever, right? Like if you've balled out one year and the next year you don't do what you've been expected to do, you might hit the bench no matter who you are. So do you still get another year or two to prove who, what type of player you are? So I think there's what you're talking about is there being risk on the player side as much as there's there is risk on the team side right think about if Alex Antopoulos now has locked up these players and all of a sudden the three of them get hurt god forbid something happened three of them get hurt um 
they're all going to look back and say, okay, I'm glad that I took that deal. But at the same time, an owner is going to sit back and say, wait a minute. Now, like, why did we take a chance on locking these guys up? And now we got to figure out what to do with these guys that are injured. So there's a lot of different things that go on behind it. But I like the idea that as a young player, you can start to get paid more because I, because one thing I see is the game is definitely getting younger. So the, the money being allocated to younger players is important. Um, and then also the risk is tough on the team too. If a player like a Michael Harris, the uh, second, you know, he was only up a little over half the season, right? Like, do we get the same Michael Harris over the next few years? If we don't, then that money is going to look bad on the, on the team side, no matter what. So I think there's risks on both sides. But I also think that with the game being younger, I'm glad that some of these younger players are getting that opportunity to prove themselves early on in the game. Age just took me to a 40-year-old Trey Turner. And I want to ask an overarching question and then you know move into Trey Turner. Um, you know, this guy just got a 11 for 300. So they're going to pay him through his age 40 season. Philly is. Um, <laughs> why? Are, so, so much of, of the conversation from players, from players, representatives, right? You, you hear Boris talk about the length of contract, not the AAV and the AAV obviously is important, but so many players, they're adamant about the years. Why are years exponentially more important than AAV. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, not having to prove something that you've already proven, right? Like, I think you don't want to have to go back on a, another free agent year where you're trying to prove I deserve another contract when you have the opportunity to just say, okay, I'm cool with this one team until the end of my until the end of my playing days. I, I think uh, as a player, all you're trying to do is prove yourself for such a long period of time. And once you've gotten to a point where Trey Turner has gotten to, you don't want to have to say, okay, you know what? I'll take this six or seven year deal and then have to prove myself again to get myself another two year deal or another three year deal. The biggest point is just let me, let me get as many years as I can lock up, uh, be able to stay on one team as long as I can. Don't have the pressure of trying to prove myself multiple times over again. If you think about the Carlos Correa situation, um, yes, it's great that he got a high AAV with the Twins, but think about if this man really struggled this year. Like that would not that would not be good at all. So, like, still taking a risk, but but it's tough because you don't want to have to prove that over and over and over again. You want to say, let me get the years so I can go ahead and knock this out. Is there a team to take a little bit of a pivot to, you know, what you've been talking about on, on Twitter and I might be feeding you into one of the things that you've said, but maybe something that you haven't gotten to uh, on Twitter just yet, but is there a team that surprised you one way or another? I know it's still early in the off season, but uh, with the way that they have handled the early going of this off season and in the early parts of this winter meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely look at the Red Sox and it, you know, a team that's such a, a big market team that we've seen win in the past, like recently, I just expect them to do more. But at the same time, I had to take a step back. And this is kind of what I tweeted about is like, you know, our expectations of a team and our plans, and especially as fans and supporters of the game of baseball is like, we expect these teams to want to win today at all the time. And I think sometimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, these teams have already put together a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. 
um, way in advance. And, and I think the same can be true for a Trevor Story uh, going over to the Boston Red Sox, right? You're not signing a Trevor Story unless there's plans if a Xander Bogarts leaves, uh, unless there's plans uh, I, I need a, a new second baseman. Like those things are already thought about beforehand. And I have to give some of these teams credit because I, I mean, we have to remember their focus is not just necessarily let's win this year. Um, their focus is, okay, we have a portfolio, especially from an owner standpoint. How do we satisfy our portfolio year after year without taking huge amounts of risk? And, and that comes along with sign, whether or not you sign guys to $300 million deals and then your team doesn't perform. Um, I think the same can be said almost the opposite for me from, from a Rays standpoint. Like the Rays were a team that we heard might have been in on Freddie Freeman last year. Okay, if your Rays team is that good from a pitching standpoint, from a, from a pitching foundation, why not go get a, a big name bat to go help out in the middle of that order, even if you're a team that doesn't normally spend, right? I think that there's there's wins and losses come with every uh, situation as far as big market, small market. I think that small market teams can make a splash and then ultimately help themselves in the long run. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of having this portfolio and investments. You're, you're talking like a financial genius, which we know Steve Cohen has kind of turned himself into, right? I mean, you look at that guy and he's got uber, uber bucks. And I love yeah. what you said about DeGrom. Five for 185 to Texas. They've commit what? $700 million to Seeger, Semyon, and DeGrom in the last calendar year, which is insane but here the Mets go securing Justin Verlander on two years, securing Jose Quintana on two years. And we talked about this uh, earlier this week on the show. Arm and I did. Pete Alonso's an unrestricted free agent in 20 after the 24 season. Mm -hmm. Jeff McNeil after the 24 season. There are a lot of guys that, that start to come off the books here. And you think Scherzer, he could be done after the 24 season as well. And you've got that mutual option for 25 with Verlander. So, Steve Cohen and the Mets afforded themselves this opportunity to see how the next two years go and they can either pay a ton of money again ahead of 25 or they can blow it up. What did you make of the contingency plan for the Mets going from DeGrom to Verlander? Yeah, I, I love it. And the reason why I love it is that I, I think they understand the window, right? And I think that we saw as quick as DeGrom went over to another team in the in the Rangers, that's as quick as the Mets were able to move on to the next plan. And, and that's why I think that there's got to be an appreciation for owners like Cohen, because I think that there's a willingness to say, okay, whatever our plan is, I'm willing to spend the money. I'm willing to, to be able to pay for the guys that we need if we have to allocate funds in a different area. Um, I, and I think that's important to do so on, on a pitching foundation too, right? Like if, if, if you have a, a Pete Alonzo, you have a, a Lindor, a McNeil, you understand that your offense um, has an opportunity to produce runs, whether it may not be the most powerful team, but the pitching foundation is going to be the biggest, uh, the biggest point to that. So you can't have a Max Scherzer without having a number two right now, because you saw Max Scherzer and DeGrom, and then you saw Chris Bassett, you saw Taiwan Walker, that whole, that whole pitching staff was immaculate for a good amount of time with the, when guys weren't hurt. And I think that's ultimately what kept them in first place for a long time. So once you already see that, it's like, how can we duplicate that again? 
knowing that we're going to need that. And guys have, and, and guys are probably leaving. Walker has left now, gone to a different sign with a different team. Bassett is still out there. We don't know if he's going to be there, but you have to find a way to uh, fortify the rotation. And I honestly don't even think that they're done. Yeah. That's, that's the craziest part. And and I loved your point there. Cause it's exactly what, what Jack and I were talking about on the podcast with, with DeGrom, which is, just because Steve Cohen has a lot of money doesn't mean he should sign up for an investment that, you know, he doesn't think is a great one. And it's fair to say that as great as DeGrom is on the back end, that's a pretty risky investment, especially when you can get Verlander for two years and then go from there. Uh, what what do you think is one of the more, and I know you said it was difficult to keep up with all the moves, I agree, but what was one of the more underrated signings so far that, that kind of got you like, ooh, I like that one. It might be Wilson Contreras that just happened a minute ago, but um to, to your former team, former organization, but is there a signing that stuck out to you that you thought maybe people don't realize that this might be a better signing than people think? Yeah, I, I just, I don't know if the team is ready to win yet, but I still look at if the Giants are going to improve, like offensive production is going to be extremely important. Uh, and Mitch Hanniger, like I was high on him this offseason. And, and I understand that there's injury issues in the past, but I still look at, if this man is able to stay healthy, you're talking about one of the best run producers as far as, uh, I'm sorry, one of the best offensive production guys in the game. OPS is normally up there above league average, at least by 30% when you talk about OPS plus um, over the past five years. So I look at, you know, able to keep this man on the field. Like you're talking about maybe a bargain at $43 million yes. as far as what he's capable of doing. And he's not necessarily like, the big home run hitter. He's a guy that can drive the ball all over the field. So I don't think that hurts him being uh, at the giant stadium or anything like that. And they have to build some offense there. And Mitch Hanegar, I love the move there. There's they obviously have funds to go somewhere else now because judge is not going there. So I think you start to build some offense within that, within that lineup. And I think that's something that they were prepared to do because you can't expect the, the old guys in a Brandon Belt and a in a Crawford. Ruff was there for a period of time. He was an older player, got traded over to the Mets. I think there was a, a Longoria. I think there was like, okay, can these guys do what they did again in 20 uh, that they did in 2021? No. So let's let's be able to find some guys that can reduplicate that. What do you think plan B looks like now that Judge is back in New York for San Francisco? I think you gotta get a, you gotta get a shortstop. Like you there's no like, yes, I would love to see them spend money on pitching, which San Francisco normally does is like they try to figure out a way to really get the pitching under under control. But now you're at a point to where you do need a superstar player like they They do need to build somebody from the middle of the, the middle of the field at the shortstop position and build around that. And, and I could I could definitely see, you know, a, a Carlos Correa or, or a Xander Bogarts going there. Um I think the shortstop position is going to be important moving forward. I think, and that's why the market like shows us shortstop is such an important position. Um, not only just from an offensive defensive standpoint, like you look at most of these guys, they're, they're like leaders, right? When you look at Xander Bogarts, when you look at Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, like these guys are, are guys that you expect to lead the team. And I think that's why the position is extremely important when you talk about investment. So you talk about leaders and, and I like talking to players about this guys that really were in the clubhouse, understand the dynamics of, of what goes into a winning team. And and just talking to one of our guys, Jeff Conine about Dave Dombrowski, because, you know, Dave Dombrowski was, you know, the guy kind of putting together the team when the Marlins won the world series in, in, in 97. And 
you know, what, what Niner said about Dombrowski was that he really had a good pulse of, of, you know, how guys got along and which guys would fit the clubhouse and kind of fit the attitude of what they're trying to achieve. You talk about these, these leaders. And at the end of the day, a lot of times, I think, especially today, we look at the data, we look at the metrics and if they fit in metrically, if they help my team in an area where I'm deficient, I'm going to forget about all those other little things that, that may matter. How important is it to have that leader, have that guy that fits the clubhouse? Because I look at the Diamondbacks who are you know, reportedly interested in Xander Bogarts and what he could bring to a team that is so young and so talented. Being a guy that was young on some really good teams, when you came up, you still had a loaded Marlins ball club in 16. The Cardinals were pretty solid in 2014. Like, How much does it help you to be able to have that leadership in the clubhouse and how much can it help that entire ball club? Yeah, I think that's a great question because obviously, uh, you know, there's no numbers that that really show behind that, right? There's no statistics, but at the same time, I think a lot of us understand what a workplace is, what an, a workplace environment looks like, and if there's somebody that can uplift that environment, um, that people can relate to, that people can really gravitate towards, uh, that can that can really do a lot for a specific atmosphere. And, and and I think a lot of times, you know, we we misunderstand how important that is uh, because there are something that you mentioned, a, a lot of young guys in the game, right? As the game gets younger, there's got to be some sense of structure. And, and, and guys, like you mentioned, Xander Bogarts, who's been a part of winning teams, has been a part of a, a winning culture and a culture that's expected to perform every single day. There's a lot said to that when that's brought into a clubhouse. And there's, and there's guys that take on those roles as being mentors to other players. And I think when you start to hear that about certain players, um, it's real. And, and and people wouldn't say it unless it wasn't real. And, and there's a lot of players that shy away from that because they don't want that type of pressure. They don't want to be necessarily the guy that everybody looks up to. And that's why it's not a role for everybody. But when a guy can help fit that role for an organization that like, a for, for example, use the Dimebacks, that's looking to build a specific culture. Um, that stuff is, is, is so important that, and, and people just don't understand it. Man, that, that takes me to the, uh, the Nick Saban quote, right? There's a, uh, if you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader, like sell ice cream. Right. And, and not everybody is cut from the leader cloth, but I'm totally with you. Hey, circling back to Dombrowski and Trey Turner, cause I do want to end it by talking about best fit for guys that are still out on the market, but what did you make of, of the fit? with Turner in Philly, because obviously that team is not starved of leadership. Bryce Harper has stepped up as, as a true leader, but Turner being a totally different player to kind of that lineup's identity. How do you think they got better? Yeah. I think you're talking about a whole nother element um, that the Phillies didn't have last year. When you talk about speed and we talk about extreme athleticism. Um, and, And I think that there's a lot uh, as far as what we're going to try to understand with some of these new rule changes. And I think athleticism and guys with speed are going to be able to take advantage of that from an offensive standpoint. Uh, I, I think when you look at, you know, the the pitch clock, when you look at guys being able to pick over a certain amount of time, when you look at defensive shifts um, with two guys staying on each side of the infield. Now, I think guys like Trey Turner are going to take advantage of that. And I think that, that ultimately feeds off onto everybody else on the team. But more importantly, I think when you get a guy that can put pressure on defenses at the top of the lineup, um, 
I think that that does a lot as far as gives you other ways to win. It doesn't necessarily say, okay, we got to we got to swing for the three run home run all the time. No, when I have a guy that can go from first to third or go first to home on, on a ball in the gap. I can do less offensively and not have to put so much pressure on myself. And, and just understanding what that means as a hitter, somebody that's understood, okay, if I have a fast guy over there at first base, I'm, I don't have to think about trying to hit a double. I can think about just trying to be able to hit a line drive somewhere. If I hit a line drive down the line, you're talking about Trey Turner easily scoring from first base. So I think it just gives you a different element on that team. Um but it also, when you balance out a team, and this is, I think, what we saw with the Yankees, they lost balance towards the end of the season. When you start, to, when you don't have that, it's tough to really go as far as you want to go. I want to talk about your career really briefly, too, before we get, we'll, we'll wrap up with, with his predictions on some of the shortstops. Yeah. And then, and then real quickly, though, I, I do want to talk about what you did, because I have it in front of me here, and, and I knew you put up some big numbers in the minors. I'll, I'll have a little anecdotal story on that in a second. But <laughs> just so the listeners know, how many years in a row with 20 home runs? It was one, two, three, four, five consecutive minor league seasons with 20-plus home runs. And then you get a, a couple different cameos with the Cardinals, but you go to the Marlins organization in 2016. And this is this is kind of the first time I ever heard your name, which was because I grew up a, a big time Marlins fan. And that was my senior year of high school. And you're raking in AAA at that point. And the Marlins were so desperate for another bat on that team. And fans were so excited, like call up Scruggs, call up Scruggs, call up Scruggs. <laughs> uh, you talk about the, just the, the, the year over year feeling like you have to prove yourself to make it up. And even sometimes when you do it in the minor leagues. It's still not enough. And you forced your way up a couple of different years. And then you forced your way up again with the Marlins. How did you stay, you know, so consistent and so positive as, you know, you, you try to fight for those opportunities. And can you talk a little bit about that 2016 year where you had a 973 OPS uh, in AAA in Jacksonville with, with that Marlins team, or it wouldn't have been Jacksonville. Would it have been Jacksonville then? It, it was uh, New Orleans at the time. New Orleans. Oh, the baby New cakes. Orleans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but before the baby cakes, it was the Zephyrs, and that's right, yeah. I was a Zephyr at that time. So wow. it's crazy. Um, no, I just I, I look at kind of you got to take advantage of the opportunities that you do have. I've always been somebody that's like there's only so much that you can control, right? And I want to be able to control the things that I can. And and I think what's more detrimental is if you like think about those things that you can't control for a long period of time. So I tried to like not even think about that and just say. Let me perform where I'm at. Let me just focus on, and this is what I tell like a lot of young players all the time, find a way to just get better every day. And I think once you focus on that, that allows you to really surpass your own expectations sometimes. And it allows you to have a tunnel vision. So I was just like, okay, let me find a way to get better every single day. Now, does that come along with frustration and understanding that maybe you should be where you're, where you're not? Yeah, that all the time. But at the same time, I couldn't do anything about it. So I was just, I could just perform. And that's all I wanted to be able to do to where, okay. Like, and this is something, this is going a little bit deeper, but this is something my dad told me when I first got drafted. He's like, don't have any regrets. And I was, and I always thought about the game and I was like, okay, I don't want to look back and say, man, I spent too much time thinking about this. or I spent too much time worried about somebody that was in front of me. No, I'm just going to put my head down and keep working and wherever the uh, chips may fall, they fall. And that way I can look back and say, I did what I needed to do. So that was kind of like my focus. And then I look at 2016, I, 
I I just want to be up there with Giancarlo Stanton. Mm-hmm. I want to be up there with JT Real Muto, Christian Yelich, Marcel Ozuna, uh, D. Gordon was on that squad. Uh, Jose Fernandez, Ichiro, <laughs> uh, man, I'm missing uh, Martin Prado. Like dudes, there was a it was a squad. Like that was a squad, and I was like, and and I remember looking around. I was like, hey, these dudes, they're gonna be balling in a few years. And I'm glad to be a part of this. That was going to be my follow-up question because I was like, what, what was it like to just get there with that group? Because we obviously know that the pitching was was the Achilles heel uh, with that with that team. And that team, man, it, that team killed me. Because that was, <laughs> that was still in my very, very passionate Marlins fan days before they killed me even more slowly. Uh, but, I mean, Jose Fernandez, I, what was it like? That's my last follow-up question, watching that dude pitch. I mean, you got to – you got to stand at first base while that guy tossed. I mean, where does he rank with some of the arms that you saw, whether as a now as a media member, uh, oh as an opposing player, as a teammate? I mean, where does that guy stack up? Yeah, he was on his way to win Cy Youngs. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And the mentality in which he pitched was like fresh and unique. If you remember, like he gave you that bulldog look. But at the same time, he'd give you that look like, yeah, uh, that's what I'm doing all, all nine innings tonight. So there was like a different mentality that like almost fits today's game better yeah. as far as like emotion and, and kind of what you see more of on the field and, and kind of that competitiveness. Um, but just seeing the way that that man threw the ball, like, and I don't know if you remember, like everything he threw was like at 110%. Like, the, like the, they would put the pull the reins back on him nowadays as far as like, hey, don't give, go max effort because he was like dialed in all the time. Um, amazing personality. Uh, like I, we were starting to get real close to before he passed away and it, it really special player, Jose Fernandez. But all I mean, all those guys on that squad. And then the, Don Mattingly was my manager and Barry Bonds, <laughs> yeah. Barry Bonds was the hitting coach. Yeah. Like Barry, Barry Bonds was my hitting coach. Who, who gets to say that? Like, yeah. so it's just crazy to just think about that whole atmosphere, that element of that year. Dude, I think every Marlins fan is going to shut this episode off now that you said this. Like, you guys had it so I almost, good. I almost need to. I need to go get a take a breather. Honestly, man. <laughs> that team, that team was like the nail in the coffin for me, man. I'm like. Oh, oh hey, we'll let you go in a minute, but I want to go rapid fire. So um, I, I'm going to give you the name of a free agent who's still out there, hasn't signed. Um, I want I don't want like contract prediction, like where they're going to end up, because nobody can really do that in a 100 percent clip. I want best fit in your mind and just a quick reason why. Um, okay. Let's start with the shortstops. Correa, where is he best suited and why? Correa best suited for the Cubs. Um, and, and the reason being the Cubs are a team that's still building and you get the youngest shortstop on the market. Um, so you still have time to get into his prime years when you're actually ready to compete. Uh, and when you're building a new foundation, you want guys that have won before and that have proven leaders and that they that other guys can look up to and build a, a culture. I think the Cubs are looking to build a new culture right now that that most of those guys have left um, that that played at a high level. And I think that you do that best with uh, Carlos Correa. How about that? All right. Xander Bogart's best fit and why? Sander Bogarts to me the most consistent shortstop that we've seen as far as offensive production. Uh, even got better defensively as far as defensive metrics last year. Um, I think he best fits with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers look for a team, look for a guy that can kind of replace Trey Turner 
um, not only offensively, but defensively too at the shortstop position. I don't know if you necessarily put the pressure on Gavin Lux to move over to shortstop and be ready. I think you got to go get one of the top guys, especially if you're still looking to get back to the World Series, because we understand the Dodgers are not a team that's going to just, okay, let's find a way to fall off and rebuild a little bit. No, uh, they've got to replace that production and they've got to find it quick. Yeah, and you know they've got Miguel Vargas probably slated in it at third, right? To start yeah, at third, third base, yeah. um, so it'd be nice to have a shortstop. Dansby Swanson's an interesting beast, right? Because it's it's kind of similar to the Freddie Freeman narrative, where oh, Dansby Swanson's an Atlanta Brave until all of a sudden he's not, and and right. with every day that this passes that he's not an Atlanta Brave, you get more and more concerned. I saw the Cubs and Cardinals were both really in on Dansby Swanson. Where does he fit? Dansby Swanson, he, he's not going back to the Braves. I look at the Braves now have the opportunity to move Grissom over to uh, shortstop. Um, you have Albies there that'll be ready this year. Um, Dansby seems like the perfect Cardinal to me. I, I look at this like the Cardinal way and the, the Cardinal player is always like a clean cut player that you hear like perfect interviews from. Um, and I look at defense is so important for the Cardinals. They don't have like the big pitchers that strike you out so like defense is always extremely important to them Dansby Swanson Gold Glover um and, and then I also look at the Cardinals don't spend big a lot of the times for these free agents so if you're looking to get maybe a better bang for your buck and somebody that's on a trajectory of becoming a better power hitter um power numbers being better over the past couple of years we're starting to see him spray the ball to center and right field now too um, as opposed to when he first came into the seat, into the uh, into the league, I think Dansby makes a lot of sense for a Cardinals team that's kind of like floating around at the shortstop position. Yeah, makes sense. And then that'd be the last... most electric defense. So I was just that that'd be the most electric, electric. defense in baseball. And Barnum. there would be so, like offensively, you're looking at one of the the best as far as WAR goes, uh, position by position. Yeah, hundred percent. Eight last one, Carlos Rodon, because now that Degrom and Verlander are off. Rodon's going to make any rotation in baseball better. I love the idea of him being in Baltimore. Apparently the Yankees are heavily involved as well. Where do you think Carlos Rodon is at opening day? Yeah, I, I like your idea about the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I, I just, I, I hope the the Orioles are looking to add a, a piece to the rotation because I think that's going to be important, uh, especially if they want to get better than they were last year, even if they were a year ahead I look at the Mets aren't done. I look at the Mets got to find a way to lock up another uh, another frontline guy. I look at Cohen putting his money where his mouth is when it comes to that that rotation. If they're not able to sign Chris Bassett back, you have to find a way to at least get uh, Carlos Rodon and, and and to be able to um, have another swing and miss guy. Those swing and miss guys are so important nowadays as far as when you look at offenses like swinging more for the fences. I think that's more of a uh, of a great spot for him and a great fit. Arm, you got anything else? No, that, that was curious where the Rodon uh, prediction was going to go. I, it sounds like that makes the most sense. But, of course, Jack and I are always trying to push good players to the Orioles. Uh, and and that, that would be great. I would love to see yeah. him in Baltimore. I know. I, I want to see, see, right, see some guys go to the Orioles, man. I just don't I, – I don't think it's going to be this year. I think it's going to be next year. I think I think they were just a year above schedule. And I, I don't think they're ready to spend like we saw the Texas Rangers spend last offseason. Yeah. I do. I do have a sleeper move. I, I think. I think Corbin Burns is going to get traded. I think he ends up going to the Padres. You think about the Padres still have decent. They still have decent prospects as far as what they have in the minor league system. 
that they're going to look to continue to put some more great starting pitching out there for a good offense. I think they end up getting him at some point. And I think he's on the blocks. We love an unexpected bomb of a take. <laughs> oh, I'm in on that. Hey, you are, um, I mean, simply put, like you're a rocket ship when it comes to baseball media. Yeah. We love ingesting the stuff that you put out. This was such a treat for us. Where do we know for sure we're going to see you on TV next year? I know you were doing the Rays telecasts, um, MLB Network. Uh, you were with yeah. Off Base, and then you were also doing Baseball Tonight uh, with ESPN. Those three spots still? You'll definitely see me on ESPN, um, and you'll definitely see me on MLB Network, um, maybe in some new capacities. So I'm excited for what could be coming next year. Um, at the same time, still looking to do some some big things on the social side, because I think that's where you kind of mentioned the audience, um, you know, that we get to talk to and, and kind of interact with. I think that's what I'm most excited about is kind of the, the social range and, and where it can continue to go. We're going to hit you up again. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've done an unbelievable job of, of building that. And it's been cool seeing, you know, what you've been able to build. And now it feels like everywhere I look, I see you just absolutely killing it. So thanks so much for taking the time, man. It was awesome talking to you. I hey, appreciate you guys for having me. Keep keep doing you guys' thing. It's been fun watching you guys and and I get to learn from what you guys are putting out there too. So it's been it's been cool. So you know it's going to be good off the jump when you're just like when you ask him what team he uh were missing and he goes NC Dinos. Like that was yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were due for an electric factory of a conversation and it was. Like he is so damn good at the media thing. I love it. He just loves it. You can tell he just loves baseball, man. And and that's what it's all about. When you have the guys that, you know, played for a professional baseball for a decade plus and their career's over and still have that bug, still love it, still have the passion for it. Like with the personality that, that Scruggs has too, he's just cut out for this thing. And uh, I'm glad we were able to get him on the show and I'm sure we're going to have him on again at some point. Uh, he's, he's just a really, really good guy. And, and one of those, where when you peel back the curtain, he's off the air. He's exactly the same. And, yes. and that's usually uh, the best kind of dude. So a lot of fun conversation. I hope everybody enjoyed that and definitely support whatever Xavier's doing uh, across everything, because that guy works his butt off and, and definitely deserves everything he has coming his way so far. Is Corbin Burns getting traded? I, I I'm starting to, dude, I feel like they would have kind of come out and said, it's not happening. Yeah, if he wasn't. I think he might. I, I I like what he I like what he's saying there. I I don't know how the Padres put it together. Uh, Merrill's you know prospect stock going up helps a lot. Yeah, but they'd have to trade some big league pieces too. They they'd have to get creative. But they hate Camposano, so I, Camposano and Merrill's <laughs> already a great start. You know, you're not that far off at that point. Okay, so Campy Merrill and Zavala, Zavala is another one too, or Kim. Damn. Damn, that's they really tried. good. They just tip traded Wong, so you know, like Kim could play second. Um, Wong wasn't a Padre. Oh, no, I'm, uh, I'm yeah, wait, about the Brewers. Wong was a Brewer. God, that was a brain yeah. fart on my end. No, You're so, right. so like Brewers just traded Wong. Kim could play second, like, or Adamas could play second, and you put an elite defensive shortstop at short. In like Kim. there's, you could you could get creative there, and and they could justify it that way, and and hide behind the the you know the facade of, oh, we, we were just trying to get better in certain ways and yeah. we were selling high, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, we'll see what kind of mental gymnastics they do. Get Tatis in a Brewers uniform. Tatis for Burns straight up. 
I think he hit 60 jacks. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, all right. We're going to have a conversation with Taylor Davis tomorrow. And we're also going to talk about things that inevitably happen uh, in, in the next couple hours. I'm sure. Arm, appreciate you, man. See you.